Hi, you guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the Virtual Garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my bosom buddy, Bubby Castrone. Hey, Bob. Hey, Dan. I mean, we're together, far apart. You're in Texas. I'm in Pasadena, and uh, we are not alone tonight. So that is uh, that's exciting for me. Yeah, so often we are alone, and you could just the two of us track it back to junior high and. You know, when you were kicked off the uh, cool kids table uh, by those Mm -hmm. mean children uh, who said the chair was broken. You know, that was a tough situation for you to deal with. Still hurts. Alone no more, because joining us today is someone that I've wanted to get on this particular podcast literally for years. I I feel like I asked um, um, the, the guest here today about coming on the show, and he's always said, yeah, absolutely. And finally, making it happen in the middle of a pandemic, Matt Money Smith joins the Throwback Podcast. Matt, welcome to the show. The uh, I guess it's a monosyllabic, right? Bab, Dan, Matt. That is, uh, <laughs> that is. It's funny though, you know, like the pandemic. I think forced us to adjust, you know. And it was always tough. I live down in Orange County, and and you guys do it in a garage, and I'm kind of working in the morning and working in the afternoon and at night and stuff. And it was just kind of tough to to do it in person, but here we go on, on StreamYard action. It makes it awfully easy where I feel like I'm sitting in the room with you guys. That's yeah. why I've been saying this pandemic is awesome. Well, so you <laughs> gotta be careful with that. <laughs> no, no, not well, that. We've talked mind, about this privately. Right, right. You need to be careful gotta, with the excitement of the back. pandemic. Uh, it back. Everybody, if you were a fan of this show, you probably, there's a decent chance you listen to the Around the NFL podcast. So you know Money as the voice of the Around the NFL podcast, the first thing you hear for every episode. But Matt's career is, is crazy because not only is he the voice of the Chargers, and he's on one of the, the biggest uh, sports radio shows in Los Angeles, and he works for the NFL, and he does the digital-only power ranking show Huge. on NFL.com. So plug in on that with the old Zeuser himself. Matt also has a whole other career uh, working in the music industry. And this whole podcast is about kind of combing through. Bob, if you want if you wanted to put like a like a 10 year period on what we kind of talk about on the show, probably like what, like 94 to 04. That range is probably fair, right? That's it. I would say out of our hundred (laughs) and. 12 episodes, 111 of them have been in that range. Yeah. And it's pretty perfect. And it just so happens that money and I I don't I'm going to butcher your exact title there. But money was in a high up position at the great legendary K-Rock in Los Angeles, the greatest modern rock station in the world. Uh, as was a program director, Matt, or what was exactly so, your role there? So I had a, a bunch of jobs throughout. It's funny. So you say 94 to 04. So my music industry was 93 to 05. So that's when I was in, <laughs> in music. Um, I started in, in the record business. I, I got an internship when I was a sophomore at uh, Pepperdine in 1992. I, I got an, actually 1993. I got an internship at Polygram Label Group, and that is when all of their labels were under one umbrella. There was, I mean, there was still A&M and Mercury and Island, but they all operated under this kind of collective called PLG. So I, I landed an internship uh, with a, a wonderful woman who has since passed who kind of taught me the ropes of being a record promoter, Vicki Lieben. And pretty much all I had to do for her was get her cigarettes cool milds uh, and then if it was a bad day it was cool unfiltered 
um, and I had to, to do what was called collecting ads. And that was kind of the primary job, which is the way the, the radio stations across the country work is on Tuesdays, they add songs to their playlist. And so Vicky would be working any number of titles, singles, um, working rotations, trying to get her records played as much as possible. And as an intern, my job was basically to, to service, um, and I'm gonna use a very broad term service because that, that entails a lot, radio stations and whatever they right. might need. Um, but I would, when I first got the job before she could trust me with anything besides getting her cigarettes was, was call radio stations and find out what they were adding on Tuesday. And then I would walk them into her. And as you would imagine, someone in her 50s who was smoking cool milds or cool unfiltered, if they didn't add the song that she wanted, because this was before the internet, she would be like, motherfucker, motherfucker, and just start screaming. And I would just kind of tuck my tail between my legs and walk out because I felt like I had done something wrong. So that's, that's where I got started. Um, Sounds terrifying, Matt. Yes, it was. It, it was. But at the same time, you know, she loved to tell stories. So when the day was over, if she had a good day, if she was working, let's say, uh, a Melissa Etheridge record or a Montel Jordan record or whatever it might have been at the time in the, the early 90s there, um, she would just get loaded and she would sit me and this other intern, Kevin, down and she would tell us stories about when she worked for Casablanca back in the late 70s and the 80s. And she, I mean, back then it was just, I would just travel with a bag of Coke and a record and it was so easy to get them played. It's so easy. You know, we'd get stories like that. Awesome. So it was wonderful. So that was, that was my introduction to, to music. That led to answering phones at K-Rock for Kevin and Bean, the, the morning show, which actually sadly just came to an end a couple months ago. That was my foot in the door for K-Rock. And then when I graduated college, and while I was there, I think it speaks to why K-Rock is, and just jump in and interrupt me if I get too long. No, here, no, but I'll, I'll try to no, I'll try to make like it as, as quick as possible. So that you know, I, I had always wanted to get into music. I, I was not necessarily interested in getting on the air when I took that job as the phone screener. I just wanted to get close to the music department at K Rock, and and thankfully, and I think it speaks to why K Rock was such a juggernaut is the people you know the thirty somethings that were running the station recognized. Oh, here's a a 19 year old kid that loves music and is in college, we need to make sure we're picking his brain for what he's listening to or what they're playing at frat parties and stuff like that. So they welcomed me with open arms into the music department. Um, and you know, I got invited into all the music meetings and played stuff that I was into and bounced things off of me as though I was a full-time employee and it was really cool. Um, so that's kind of how I got started in the music department there. When I graduated, they offered me a full-time job in 1995 to a kid who uh, had half scholarship for college and financial aid for the other half at Pepperdine <laughs> of uh, $18,500. And uh, living in Los Angeles, I was like, wow. I, I am going to have to decline your offer, sadly, as, uh, as just kind of a music department lackey for 18.5. And I took a job um, back at Polygram as a record promoter. Uh, at London Records was the division I worked for, which was a really cool label, and we can get into that a little bit. Um, then that turned into DreamWorks was founded, and I was one of the first people they hired that, uh, that Geffen under the record label hired at DreamWorks to run their alternative music department. Whoa. Uh, I did, yeah, I did that, and that was under Mo Austin and Lenny Warnker, who were are- you ever in, were you how ever old in? Were you ever How old were you at this point? At this point, I was 23. Three, I believe when I took the job at I was yeah I was at London from 21 to 23 and a half right around there and then I took the job at DreamWorks like 23 24 and that, that's awesome yeah so you were that the, run, you were like the the 
the cool, uh, hot young kid that they were like, we, w- we want to tap into his knowledge. That's kind of a heady place to be at that age. It was, it was wild. It was really neat. And I just, you know, you, you, cre- you know, a lot of people, you create your own luck. So certainly a lot of it was, was hard work when, when my college roommates, I mean, this truly happened repeatedly when they were coming in from drinking, I was waking up to go to Kevin and Bean at 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> you know, they were just getting in while my junior and senior year, I basically, my, my college partying days ended and I was already working. So, you know, I, I started early, but I was very lucky to catch some breaks in there and, and have some people, you know, have faith in me and, and give me some shots. And, and they did that at DreamWorks for certain. And, and for people that don't know um, who Mo and Lenny are, just look it up. I mean, they, they are arguably the two most successful radio executives. Uh, a lot of people talk about Clyde Davis. He's, he, he doesn't have, he can't sniff Mo's jock. Um, you know, Mo is, because, you know, so Mo, just to give you a quick story about Mo, Mo was hired by Frank Sinatra when Warner <laughs> Brothers gave Frank Reprise as his label. And he wanted wow. this young exec at Warner named Mo to run it. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Mo did beyond Simon and Garfunkel and, you know, and, and Crosby, Stills and Nash and, and Madonna and Prince and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, whom he signed, by the way, while he was on Geffen's yacht in Positano and Geffen was bragging how he was going to close signing this band from LA called the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Mo asked David if he could borrow his phone and called oh. and closed the deal while he was on David's boat uh, just stories like that that I was able to to be part of so I ran that with DreamWorks until it went uh, belly up and got well it did go belly up it got bought out by Interscope and uh, when that happened I went to K-Rock full-time as their music director for, for two and a half years. So I did that. Um, and in between all of that, I was still doing sports. I was still the sports guy on Kevin and Bean after Jimmy Kimmel left. So I did 10 years of, even while I was in the record business, I was still the sports guy on Kevin and Bean every single morning doing sports updates. So I, I think I, that I, covers it. And you covered it very well. Bob, based on what I just heard, during your DreamWorks era, was money the Rob Lowe character in Wayne's World? That's kind of what I was picturing. The more he was talking, the more I sensed a uh, Rob Lowe type yes. trying to make uh, make these young bands do their Noah's Arcade commercials. But. Yeah, so I, I had many. It's funny, too. You know, like some bands really didn't like me. I mean, and I would say probably for the most part, most of them didn't like me because you're the record wow. promoter. They, you know, for, and this is what I would always say to, to people that were, and I grew up a punk rock kid and a total judgmental asshole at all these shows, you know, and if you like popular music, you were a douche. And, you know, I liked <laughs> Bad Brains and Naked Ray Gun and Black Flag and all of that and anything that wasn't that was crap. But um, then I got to meet the artist and I recognized no matter who they were, they all wanted to be big and popular and sell a lot of records and and live a very comfortable lifestyle by doing nothing but playing music every last one of them and and it's funny of all the people i got along with uh was one of my greatest failures and that was elliot smith uh who probably gave me the best record i ever worked in xo and it was just oh, the timing at, at alt rock rock radio was terrible and uh they were not ready to play it because they were banging my other records like Power Man 5000 and Papa Roach who both probably hated me because they think somehow they did you know Papa Roach thought they should have sold 10 million copies instead of 3 million for that piece of crap but you know it's, we, it's just funny we, how that can we, works can we can you get Papa Roach on the phone so we could tell them that they're lucky that they had three I mean we're here we're here to help if yeah that helps. that's you know it's funny about Papa Roach too and just like speaking to the Rob Lowe character so like they 
Like Everything is funny full, about Papa Roach. Yeah. I had a, a very nice, believe it or not, like for the most part, they're really nice guys. I actually got along with them pretty well, especially their lead guitarist, Jerry, who is super. And that's what's funny about bands like that. Like you'll have components of these bands that are so crazy talented. Like Jerry is an absolutely ridiculous technical guitarist. Mm. Like, I mean, unbelievably talented. And just if you think about just the licks that he came up with, to some degree, they were almost as catchy as whatever else you want to say made those songs popular you know the the, the last resort yeah that's, that's a great that, it really is kind of jerry that that helped make those songs so when you're if you don't like a band's kind of music you you try to find maybe those little things like that individual i just happened to connect with him and i was like you know what this guy's really talented he busts his ass and, and he deserves this you know things like that you work these little games out but they they were adamant that Last Resort was not their song, that, they, that it was this song called Broken Home, and it was super important to them, and, and it's all about you know our, our, our terrible childhood and being abused and being homeless for a little bit and, and going to Bob, the Rob Lowe character you talked to. I was basically <laughs> like, great, thanks. Uh, guess what? Shut up. We're going with Last Resort because <laughs> it's a hit. You know? and, they, and they hate that. Um, and you and, were right, but you were right. Right. That was you know, a huge hit. That was my job. My job wasn't to produce records. It wasn't to tell them how to make music. It was to say, hey, this is the song I think is going to work best at radio, and we have the best chance of And And then it can backfire, right? Because you do that, and then when it doesn't happen, and they want to go with a different song, then it's 100% your fault. So it, it works both ways. Well, it's so cool for us coming from New York because K-Rock was like this legendary thing that we heard about. We would read about it in Rolling Stone and Spin. And the first time I came to L.A., and got in that rental car, the first thing I did was look for K-Rock because it just, for years and years in the 90s and 2000s, it was just something that was honestly like one of the reasons I wanted to be in LA because it just had this big aura around it. So it's so cool to talk to you. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that worked back Bob, then. Get it together. You know? Get a hold of yourself. I can't, Dan. I'm <laughs> excited about this. For <laughs> once in my life, podcast. I'm excited to talk to somebody. So like they, when I, you know, in, in the record business, and it was it was almost like being a, a you know, a, to use the, the sports analogy, it was kind of like being a player and an owner or an agent and a player and, and playing both sides of that because as a record company guy, K-Rock was, was great, but it was terrible. You know, if they didn't play your record and you thought you had a, like, I'll tell you a great story. I can remember who was my boss and one of my dear friends uh, who was the program director forever. He just left to go to Spotify, Kevin Weatherly, um, who's arguably the, the best program director in the history of radio. He, uh, he built Q106, a big top 40 in San Diego, and then he came up here and he was the guy that decided to play Nirvana on K-Rock and pretty much changed everything in this market in terms of being a power. You know, K-Rock had always meant something and broke records. Um, but when he decided, hey, we're gonna go down this lane, it really changed the fortunes of that, that station and, and the power that it had to break artists. Um, but I had this band Lifehouse at, at DreamWorks and and Oh, money, song, they're, they're on the throwback podcast. There you go. So. So hanging by a moment is a hit. It's just like it's a it's a no brainer, one listen, huge hook, hit. And I mean, I, I am screaming at that that place at the top of my lungs, like like kicking things and throwing crap around offices and saying, you know, f you. Think you're so freaking cool. You're still playing shit records. Not, you're not cool. You're just a top forty station that plays rock, and somehow you've decided that Lifehouse 
isn't cool enough for you, you know? And, and look, Jason was a, we, we, we found him at Calvary Chapel. I mean, he was a Christian artist that played for church, so was he cool? <laughs> Not really, but the kid knew how to write hits. Um, so it was that that was the power of K-Rock. So that to me, like that was my roadblock. Like I could not get over the hump with Lifehouse. And I'm telling the story because other stations just simply wouldn't play a record if K-Rock wouldn't play it. And, and so I had a collection of huge stations in huge markets, even though Lifehouse was a number one record that never played Hanging by a Moment. Um, and it ended up being a big pop record. And, you know, that was kind of a, a ding on my, you know, my resume that I that I couldn't keep them at modern rock and it had to go to pop to kind of get hmm. sort of its multi-million sales that we all knew it was capable of. If you want to add a quote to your uh, Lifehouse poster, um, we had comedian Nikki Glazer on that episode and she deemed uh, Hanging By A Moment the best song to get fingered to. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to add that. Okay. It's, it's yours if you want it. I tried like hell to corrupt them because I'm a horrible person <laughs> and I'll never forget we were in Utah and we were playing at this club deviate and we you know they hanging by a moment it become huge it was getting played on x96 in salt lake and the place it ended up being a sold out show basically off this one song that maybe had been playing on the radio for two months maybe three and so you know jason's a good looking guy and there's all these girls there and i'm like hey you want to come back stay you know that guy hey let's let's you know and jason no i don't it's not what we're in, you know, it's okay. I'm like, hey, man, look, just enjoy it. I said, you can, you can do what you want to do. Come on. So, so uh, next thing I know, I've got some wine in his hand, and he's just like, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with this, Matt. I'm like, that's fine. You can be uncomfortable with it, you know, but just, I just want to present it to you, you know, and then, and then you can make your choice. If it's not for you, it's not for you. That's fine. I just want to make sure you know that this is available if you are so interested. And, and go ahead. And just to be clear, that's, you're you're doing that in that situation for no other reason, just for your own entertainment, or do you think that makes him a better artist if he if he has that taste of the uh, the deck? Oh, I'm doing part? it uh, honestly, Dan. I'm doing it because I'm a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I mean, that's why I'm doing it because he's this. That's why we like still, him. You're, st you're still Rob Lowe. Yes, but it's a he's, different Rob Lowe. He's now. a super Christian kid, and I'm like, won't it be funny if I throw all these groupies and a bunch of booze at him and see what happens? <laughs> I mean, that's that's I'm just I'm terrible. You're the um, devil in yes. his life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I ended up corrupting their drummer Rick, but but Jason never took the bait to his <laughs> so, uh, to his credit. Now now so. you're actually is it the not, who is the character the Woody Harrelson character in Kingpin? That's who you are now, corrupting. A little bit, uh, yes, corrupting exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so there's uh, see, there even was... all of our references are between 1993 and 2004. <laughs> you're right, it's so very consistent. Know. It's very yeah. consistent. All right, so, so uh, yeah, no, so money obviously. That's just the taste of his background. We're going to get into so much more. So we were trying to think about what's the best way kind of to get into conversations for this podcast. And obviously we can go on for hours and hours. But uh, to put some focus on it, that period uh, that when you were connected to K-Rock, uh, specifically one year money. So you just I, I kind of put it to you. What would be how would you want to frame this? Is there a year uh, during your time at K-Rock? And you came up with a year. 2004 why did you choose 2004 it was a really i think it was my favorite year b 
because it was the year that that I feel like, and, and this is going to sound super self-important um, and, and douchey, but I feel like it was the year I probably had my most influence on the station. Um, mm. they, they were very rock heavy, and I was planting my flag in this sort of popular indie rock that I felt was a burgeoning scene that could cross over into popular music. Um, and so it was the year for people that don't remember of um, Interpol and Modest Mouse and Shins and Arcade Fire and Franz Ferdinand and, and all of those bands. But it also was a year where you still had a lot of this rock and that was still going on. And the biggest record of the year was probably one of the biggest records that was ever played in K-Rock's history. Um, and that's American Idiot. That, that was released. And we probably played, I would say, from that record, six songs in power, meaning it was at one point the number one played song on the station for the day. Um, and, and I would say, at you know, we would typically, and, and I don't know how deep into this I have to get when it comes to scheduling music and, and running a radio station in terms of being a music director, but we used to carry seven songs in power. So seven songs that would rotate every two and a half hours. Oh, wow. and, and that record was so big that there were times when we had two and even sometimes three songs in power just from that record alone. Let's listen to a little bit of one of those songs, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. We hit American Idiot, the album, about a month ago on this show, and it's okay. still, for Bob and I, uh, stands out as not exactly a comeback record uh, for Green Day, because they were around after Dookie, of course. It they felt had, like a comeback record, even though they never went away. Right. Time of Your Life, Good Riddance was a huge radio hit for them, uh, surprising everybody in 97. The, the Warning album... I really enjoyed Bob liked it too had great singles but it seemed like people just didn't care about Green Day and then this album came along how surprised were you when this song and this album blew up the way it did yeah so Warner Brothers um, had us set aside uh, two hours they said hey we want everybody we want you know Kevin me uh, Gene who Gene was the assistant program director program director Kevin was the program director I was the music director so they said we want all three of you 
100% of your attention, no phone calls, nothing. We're going to play you this record, the new Green Day record, from beginning to end. And we really want you to hear it from beginning to end because it's a concept record. It's, an, it's a rock opera. Um, and we were like, uh, whatever, you know. So we did. We agreed. And when it was done being played, we recognized, all three of us, holy crap, that's, that's going to be really big for us. It's going to be really big for Green Day. Um, so we played, you know, the reason I, I figured Boulevard would be funny to play, would be good to play is because, so we played American Idiot. Um, I, I remember um, politicking hard, and, and ultimately we were able to do it. I said, let's play Jesus of Suburbia. Let's just play all nine yes. minutes. I think that's the best statement for, for us as a station to make. Yes. For what we think is the importance of this record, which we did. And Jesus was in, um, it was a power record for us. Um, but we played Holiday. We played Are We the Waiting um, as a power record. But I, I wanted to play that song because so, you know, when you're in these music meetings, to some degree it's your it's report card day, you know. And, and Kevin Weatherly, who runs the station, you, he wants you to bring him hits and songs that, that eventually will become powers. And you're competing with each other. And I'm not telling Gene what I'm bringing in. And Gene's not telling me what I, he's bringing in. And he's then bringing in the younger kids now that I used to be. And I'm now the older guy <laughs> that's, that's, you know, fighting off the kids to try to keep my job and stay relevant. And I'll never you're forget. You're Cam Newton. He's Jared Exactly. Sitt. Exactly. So <laughs> we're in the meeting and it's probably, I think American Idiot has been in power for, you know, we, we put it right into power. Um, I think it's been in there for about a month, maybe five weeks, you know, and I believe Holiday is the next single, and we've already started playing that. And Gene decides to bring in, decides we're going to play Boulevard of Broken Dreams as one of his songs. And I just remember looking at him and going, what the F, Gene? I mean, Boulevard of Broken <laughs> Dreams. It's like, this, 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 what? I, and, and, he was, and he was a very effeminate kind of guy. And he was very soft-spoken, and as you can tell, I'm not. And I, I, I can go into attack mode. He's like, listen, Matt, I just want to play the best song. That's what I want to do, okay? And that's what I think this is. And Kevin's like, you just got a point. You know what I mean? If, 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 if we got the record, we might as well play the best song. I'm like, well, but I said, we've got two songs in power. You know, we don't need this. This is not what we need. I would imagine Warner is going to lose their shit if we have this record because they probably want to they don't want to release this as a single for another six months. So there's the record guy in me coming out. Like, sure. hey, wait a minute. We want American. We, we want Green Day for Acoustic Christmas. Then we want them for the Weenie Roast. Then we want them for Acoustic Christmas again. And then we want them for the Weenie Roast after that. And you're just going to screw their plan to hell by playing Boulevard. And we have this huge argument. And, <laughs> and we ended up adding the record. And Warner lost their shit. And I remember walking out and going, I hope you're happy, Gene. And he goes, thank you. I am. <laughs> there was a little bit of uh what radio but why, station the, why were you upset in terms of from where you're coming from and because that to you or it didn't seem like a huge smash single compared to what else was there oh no i from? i knew it was going to be the biggest song on the record uh, i think so we what, all did what was the hesitation it's just that we just started playing holiday like we had Got just it. started and you know back then mm. It was, it's so hard for people, I think, to figure this out in 2020, right? Back then, you know, the record, I don't even think, had been released yet. So people are only consuming this via radio airplay and MTV or, or YouTube at that point or wherever they're getting it. Um, and so there's just kind of this schedule that you're supposed to follow. Of, oh, okay, here's the rock song. 
Here's the mid-tempo hit. Now here's the big ballad that's going to cross all genres and be Casey Kasem's number one record at the top. You know, and, and that's Wake what Boulevard was Wake Me When September Ends. Exactly, which was yeah. Wake mm-hmm. Me as well. Yeah, so. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, still that's- such an unbelievable uh, career arc that they had. And then it always struck me as strange that as huge as they were, and then they just kind of were on the periphery, but still relevant, and then the biggest album of 2004, and then just gone, more or less, after that. Do you remember anything about the next record? No, probably because I was gone. Um, yeah. I had left to go work for the Lakers in uh, 05, 06. So I had, I had left prior to the 2005 This guy's got season. Kobe Bryant stories, too. Matt <laughs> Smith could tell you about everything. You were there for the you last two Let's- titles. Let's keep him around after this pod to do our Kobe Bryant pod that we've been doing. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, yeah, I had Kobe titles uh, for the next five years is what I was doing uh, after this. So, so that was the biggest record. I mean, so to have like a monster like that, um, to have a monster like that to anchor your year is just so rare. Hmm. Very cool. My biggest, my biggest uh, takeaway is this in power verbiage that I'm going to start I using day to day. I, I love, love that. This. Yeah, power. So, so the way that, that current records work on, on radio stations are there are, there are powers. Um, there are, to some degree, power recurrence, which let's say like the, the bane of my existence was um, can't, uh, keep, get, uh, keep them separated by offspring. There you go. Keep them <laughs> separated, all mixed up. Like those would just hang around forever. Megalomaniac by Incubus, they'd just hang around forever. And you're like, my God, I'm pounding my head against the wall. But then you would have new powers. So those were our C's. Uh, B's were kind of like songs that were at least, that, that had been in power for a number of months and had kind of earned the right to be um, this sort of sub-power, um, but not stale yet. So the, the, this, this one... This one guy that used to be a program director in Chicago who I hated, his name was Bill Gamble. He used to say uh, when I would bitch about, you know, my record, my Jimmy World record, not being able to get, you know, into his number one slot because he's still playing freaking Californication 70 times a week. He'd be like, Matt, I get a secret when it comes to getting ratings in radio. I tell some people, do me a favor. Come tell me when you're sick of this song. And when they come tell me, I play it another 5,000 times. And that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what that B category is. And then you have your D category, which was the stuff that like they'd throw me a bone, like, all right, fine, we'll play your your whatever it is that that I was insisted that your golden palominos, we'll put it in D and it would play like thirteen times a week, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of how mm-hmm. the currents laid out for uh for a radio station. Bob, I feel like you would have been good at this in this world. It feels like a missed I'm opportunity. Gonna- it really is. I'm going to start using in power, though, with like my wife. It's like, oh, my God, we're having this argument in power. This has been like the <laughs> this 20th power. time this week. <laughs> All right. Let's great. let's move on to uh, the next big artist in 2004, uh, a band that's very near and dear to both Bob and I. We've covered them on this show, multiple albums. It is the Killers and arguably their greatest ever single, Mr. Brightside.
First of all, who who remembered Eric Roberts having such a prominent role in the video for Mr. Oh, yeah. Brightside? But uh, now this brings up another question, Matt, for the business that you were in. That we just played about a minute and twenty seconds of that song. Is that all you need to hear as a record guy or a, a station programmer to know that you got a hit? Is it even before the chorus hits? Like when do you know? Sometimes, for sure? yeah, yeah, sometimes. And so the Killers, that that was one of the first. There, there have been a couple songs that during my time at K Rock that that walked, that got played for the first time and walked right onto the air. And somebody told me it was one of those. I, but the interesting thing was. <clears throat> I felt like I got screwed on that because the Killers put out a seven-inch of Mr. Brightside before they signed to Island and the record came out. And so my contemporary up in San Francisco at Live 105, Aaron Axelson, had turned me on to it. And we had played it in a music meeting. And it was like, yeah, you know, I, this is good. And, you know, I, I know I think someone's kind of sniffing around, so we're going to hold off on this. And, like, no one had clued me in. That, that Island was signing this band and they, they thought they were going to be huge and, and K-Rock was going to help launch it. And so it was just like the politics of the music business, whereas I'm just a music director looking for great songs in the dark. And then I'm out of the conversation. The, the executive VP meets with you know my boss, Kevin, with, and plays him, somebody told me, and he just calls me in after he has that meeting and says, hey, go, uh, go give, this to, give this to Jed right now <laughs> and tell him to play it right now, right now, and then get back in here. I'm like, what is it? He's like, it's the Killers. I was like, we're playing Mr. Brightside? He's like, no, it's somebody told me. And I was like, what the hell is that? And so that's, <laughs> so walked yeah, that but... in and uh, that played. And from the second it played the first time. Uh, the funny thing is, is um, I got to go to one of their first shows. They were not a big live band. They, they did not have a whole lot of touring under their belt. They were just guys that cranked out this unbelievable record. Um, and the first time I saw him, it's one of the worst shows I've ever seen. He, Brandon had absolutely no stage presence. They weren't that tight. It was at a place in Long Beach called The Vault, and it was terrible. Was that when they were opening for Stella Star? Or was that before Oof, that? That's a good question, Bob. I don't remember. I almost feel like it was kind of a showcase as opposed okay. to an actual tour date. And that's why I think it was in Long Beach, because I think they knew. Um, that they that they or at least they weren't a hundred percent sure like are they good or are they not kind of stuff so it's just funny that that some bands you see live and that's what turns you you know that's how you fall in love with them and makes you believe oh my god I, I went to this amazing show now I've got to find the right song to get this band on the air find the vehicle to get them on the air because I so believe in them the killers was opposite they just had these unbelievable songs that were hits and for quite some time and now they're fine they're a great live band but they were Terrible. Yeah, I saw them on that first, I guess, tour of theirs where they were opening, and it was not good. Like, Stella Star was such a better band live at that time, but obviously the Killers yeah. had the songs. Although, I, as a as a closet Stella Star fan, Money, how come My Coco never got enough? Play? All right, this is hey, not the My Coco podcast. <laughs> come on, come on. The, uh, we, we can go through a hundred My Cocos, <laughs> and, and that could be another, you know, throwback that, pod where we could just go through all the ones that, that didn't make it. Yeah. And we will. A little uh, bonus to this show. At the end of the show, Money's going to share two songs that he believed in and he th saw as surefire hits, and it, n it never happened, and they're two great songs. So uh, don't go away for that. Killers, we saw the. I remember seeing them on, touring on Hot Fuss. Uh, Maybe Webster Hall, some someplace in New York. Yeah, I think it was Webster Hall. And it was so. Um, I love the songs, like everybody loved them. But I remember it was in October uh, of oh 
03 or 04, I guess 04 it must have been. And the Yankees were in their wild card playoff round. And down at the coat check, somebody, uh, the guy had a TV with an old school antenna. And I remember being just Brandon Flowers just standing in front of the little keyboard thing, feeling the same way. The, old, the guy with the most dr- yeah. uh, charisma was the stupid drummer, whatever his name was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then I saw him. I saw them as a band. This is about five or six years ago at the L.A. Sports Arena. Rest in peace. And they were awesome. And Brandon Flowers, this good looking guy uh, and a great singer, clearly had come into his own after years and years of reps moving all over the stage. And I imagine money. That's another guy. If you had the opportunity to corrupt, you would have. But this is a little different time of your career at this point. The exactly. Good Mormon boy. Exactly. It is. Uh, that was no longer my job. That that was up to my friend Howie Mira, who was the uh, the island rep for the Killers. That uh, that was to corrupt Brandon. A little disappointed, a little by the way. We're you know talking two thousand four, and I didn't see Vertigo by you two on your playlist. But you know I'm going to get past that. Well, the, that's Vertigo's a little no personal else. for me. I uh, I'll just real quick tell you. So I worked with uh, their longtime sort of pseudo manager Johnny Barbus, and when he played me Vertigo, I said it was absolute garbage, and <laughs> yes. he was he was so angry. Like yes. I can't even begin to tell you how. That's upset. a great this record, was, money. Oh, it was so bad. And he said, and I ended up losing a bunch of money. He's like, I will, I think it was a thousand bucks. He goes, I'll bet you a thousand dollars. This is a number one song. I said, you are out of your mind. This song is terrible. And of course it was freaking huge. And you I think weren't, I ended up, you, you weren't wrong. It might've cost you a thousand dollars, but yeah, you weren't cost wrong. Me, cost me a grand. All right. Uh, moving on. So yes, we've heard from Green Day, uh, a veteran. Band. And those were the two biggest records, by the way, American Idiot. And then Hot Foss ended up being the big new release of the year. The Killers were certainly, of, of all the bands that we're going to go through, the one that really, I think, had the, the most amount of success, at least for us at K-Rock. You know, we, um, you know, we ended up playing, I think, five, I want to say five songs off of Hot Fuss, ultimately. The, and first, I mean, it the was, first five songs. Yeah, and it was, exactly. And it was, a, and it was a, probably about a two, it's probably about a two and a half year cycle where you still felt like those songs were current because of the way that we would rotate them and, and how we would play them. That's funny that you... I was about to ask you what your thoughts were just as a music fan on the Killers' career arc and how you think their career turned out, but I guess I'm picking up possibly that once you got out of the business, you detached yourself a little bit from following well, the artists business, in that way? Yeah, I mean, the business, um, the business, much like sports and, and the conversations we have, and nobody believes me that I'm not a fan of anything anymore when it comes to sports and, and all the teams that I grew up cheering for, truly, you just, you lose it. And I think that's one of the great things about going to sports is I fell in love with music again and, and started just kind of listening to records all the way through and, and being excited for new releases, whereas when you're in the middle of it, um, you're just looking for hits. That's that's you know that was my job and and if we had hits then we had good ratings and if we had good ratings then I got a bonus and if I got a bonus my kids ate and you know and, and yeah. on and on it's that's it it's just it's terrible I mean it's it's making the sausage and I told a story on the air the other day on Petros and Money I don't remember how it came up Kate's was said something like wait a minute you're telling me this isn't true and I said Kate's not only is that not true but every time you called the Furious Five at nine. To log your request, guess who scheduled the Furious Five at nine at three oh. o'clock that afternoon? And he was like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Yeah, this guy, this guy scheduled it at three o'clock in the afternoon." So it, you know, it's just it, it, it takes a lot of the the Matt innocence and the passion out of it. Matt Money Smith hunting for hits and Tia Carrera yeah. with a giant sn- a snake on her <laughs> as she plays guitar. <laughs> Up next, Franz Ferdinand.
And that's it. That's the whole song. Nothing is different. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that, Bob, because there, there's a a very funny story about this this track in K-Rock and, and what is wildly embarrassing. Ooh. Hit me. All right, you ready? Now I want to hear so, it. So Franz, I see Franz at South by Southwest before South by Southwest turned into a giant shit show um, when mm-hmm. it was record companies, managers, talent, bookers, promoters, uh, radio station folks that just went to Austin to go see bands. And that's all we did for five days. And all the venues were flooded with up and coming artists. And then about, you know, that was like 93, 94 when I first got into the business. And then right around like 98, 99, it started to be all the labels were shoveling a ton of cash into making sure their next big thing was gonna be part of this huge party and this blowout night at Slim's or, or wherever you were you were playing. Um, and now it's just nothing like what it what it was intended to be, which was a music festival and a film festival. Um, but Franz was playing, and I went to the show, and it was the oh you have to go see this band Franz Ferdinand that they're gonna blow you away. No one knew who they were, no one knew what songs they played. It was just we were told that this little you know not little but this label Domino was bringing a band over, and you had to see them, and so. They did a great job because it was mayhem to try to get in there. It was the show you had to go to that mm. year. And I don't know if it was 03 or 04. I think it was, it was 04. Yeah, so it was the 04 South by Southwest. So it would have been March of 04, I think. Um, and um, I go in. I see the show. And it's probably 2 in the morning, Austin time. And I called Kevin who is a father of two and sleeping in LA and drunk out of my mind. I am screaming, <laughs> you don't, you don't understand what I just saw. We got to get this band on the radio now. And he's like, shut up. Don't just call me tomorrow. We'll talk about it. And I was like, you listen. So I come back and I, and, and I'm screaming, jumping on the desk. We've got to play this song. Take me out by front. They were unreal. I mean, the, the place was just electric. There's sweat pouring from the ceilings. Nobody knows what their music is. And um, this uh, is out of control. I'm on, you know, they're playing all their <laughs> yes, different songs. Yes. and Everybody's freaking out and dancing and, and just having the best time. And um, he's like, all right, fine, whatever. We'll add it. He goes, but uh, I want to I make an edit. And I was like, you want to have, but, huh? And he's like, yeah, so we're going to start playing it at the, uh, 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 So for like the oh. first, for like the first two weeks, that's how we played Take Me Out. And I was like, what, what, what? are you doing? Oh like, my God. What, what are we doing? Um, and then he finally came to his senses and it became one of the biggest songs of the year. And it was one of the best live performances we had at one of our radio shows ever. I mean, talk wow. about it's like that. Uh, I'm going to use another '90s movie reference: Alec Baldwin and Malice. <laughs> I am yes. God. That's Who exactly are you? right. Who are oh, you? Oh yeah, and actually, decide? yeah, it, it started at da na 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 na. That's God. where they started the song for like two weeks. And I was like, this is stupid. What are we doing? What are I, we doing? <laughs> one of my favorite stories I've heard just working in the industry out here is uh, they were going to do a Knight Rider movie a few years ago. This is like ten years ago now, and the people that were producing the movie went to the studio and they went there with like this big elaborate pitch of like here's what we do here's the first act here's the second act here's the characters here's everything they give this whole pitch like the head of the studio and the whole time like everybody's into it and at the very end the studio head kind of nods his head and goes i love it let's do it one note the car can't talk (laughs) 
<laughs> and they were like, um, it's Knight Rider. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Talk. No, no, no. The car talks in the credits, car talks in the sequel. Oh, it's so and great. there's never been a Knight Rider movie. So I feel like that there's a lot so of people great. that make decisions that make those bad decisions. Up next, Interpol. Rosemary, heaven restores you in life. You're coming with me through the aging, the fearing, the strife. It's the smiling on the package. It's the faces All right, in money. the sand. It's the thought that... So I just played this because I think it's probably my favorite song of the year. This, this of all the of all the records we played, I think Evil's probably my favorite, and it was one of the great, great shows because you know it was their sophomore record. A lot of people had kind of tagged them as this new order ripoff band, um, and and there were a lot of questions about them. They, like, because you know they. They, they weren't flashy like you're, you know they were competing with with bands like Jet and the Hives that kind of had this electric persona on stage and and they did not have that and I think when when they came out with Antics and we heard Slow Hands and then all of a sudden you heard Evil it was like okay that's like this is a legit band they are freaking talented as hell they write great records um, and and I just remember kind of being happy like it made me happy that they didn't have a sophomore slump here comes a great little name drop, right? I, I remember, uh, I remember being on the periphery of a conversation um, with Seal, who had just come out with a prayer for the dying. I know. Weird, wait, right? wait, be, be more specific. Which, which it, Seal? Exactly. Which seal was it? Um, who had just come out with a prayer for the dying, and uh, someone was kind of talking about us up, and he just said, you know, it's. He said, people don't understand you. You have your whole life to write your first record, and then the record company gives you eight months to write your next one. And it's not easy, and and I think that had just always stuck with me. And so, uh, to know, and, and then be in the record business, and to know how hard it is to write that second record for whatever reason, I just I, I was pulling for this band to to pull it off, and that they came out with with those two records, uh, Slow Hands and Evil. I was I don't know, it just it made me happy. It was it was probably I, like the highlight of the year for me. If we're ever sharing Seal periphery stories, I guess I have to talk about. The first Super Bowl I ever covered uh, with NFL.com when the Giants beat the Patriots a second time. And I'm all excited. I've never been to a Super Bowl. I'm getting my tape recorder. I'm, for some reason, thought I was going to get doused with champagne because I never really had been in a locker room. I, <laughs> I figured it'd be the same as the uh, World Series. No champagne. Get down there. I'm looking around. This, it's a much more subdued place than you'd imagine, a, a Super Bowl winning locker room. Uh, you think everybody's going crazy, but there's a, there's just a sense of accomplishment. A lot of guys as they're getting dressed, uh, but that's beside the point. The point of the story is that Seal is there with a um, what looks like a very expensive um, old camera, antique camera. Apparently, he was buddies with Michael Strahan, and Seal's just walking around snapping photos in the Giants' locker room after Super Bowl Forty Six. Can I tell you the real point of the story? It's that here we are. Interpol finally on the throwback podcast and, and Dan, Dan has been Dan has it. been Dan has been dragging his feet we're supposed to do uh, they want a poll we're on patreon.com slash throwback pod they want a poll we're going to be doing an Interpol album soon Dan has been dragging his feet I've been arguing Antics was the album that was the like the cool album of 2004 yeah. as much as Hot Fuss was everywhere I remember every bar I went to was playing Slow Hands Come Here Evil, Narc. It was like yeah. the coolest album. So I that can't was, wait to cover it. 
It was my, uh, yeah, it was my favorite one uh, that we played. So, and little, um, and, and like I said, I think, I think there's also something about a live show. And, and I can remember, they were a little stiff as well. The first time you saw them, very tight, like a really tight band, but just not a lot of stage presence. And they played the Palace, and it was just one of the, the best shows of the year. And, and everyone that was there, you know, the, the critics, um, you know, be it from Enemy or Rolling Stone or the LA Times, just all heaped praise upon how great that show was, how great that record was. Um, and, and I don't know, just like I said, for me, that's just a personal one. Like, wow, I'm, I'm so happy that this record came out this year because it was probably my favorite one. Don't you guys have, because that's, that's where this band is for me, where Interpol, they check all the boxes of a band that I would like, and there are even songs that I enjoy. But for some reason, I just can't get into them. That was Interpol for me, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just the blind spot, but that yeah, I'm going to do it, Bob. Part of, part of the reason why I have been dragging my feet is because I know it annoys you so much. It does. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Let, partner. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's uh, move on. Uh, this is up next. I would say on the very short list for me for my favorite singles that came out in the entire decade. It came out in 2004 by a great band, Modest Mouse. Here's Float Up. So like I, I think the, the interesting thing about Float On was that it was kind of like in that in that category of best new artist, and I think anybody that that you know was was interested in indie rock at all knew that you know Isaac was one of the great songwriters, Modest Mouse was one of the great bands, and they just happened to write this unbelievably catchy pop hit. Really, it's not even it's almost a pop song, not even a rock song. Um, that was for the most part a, a great departure from what they. They were doing, and this was kind of like a crossover for me because we had been trying to sign them at DreamWorks forever, uh, almost like the entire time I was there. Um, they wanted to put out the Moon in Antarctica uh, prior to its coming out at DreamWorks, um, and then somehow I think Epic is the one that, yeah, I think it was an Epic record um, that that got them to sign to a major. Flowdown comes out. Ocean Breathe Salty was okay; it wasn't really a big hit, but it was just it was almost like they became this one-hit wonder. Um, for, for a little window there. And it's like, God, this band deserves so much more than this, but the song is so big and so good, and it's probably in the conversation as the song of the year, and it's so weird that of all bands, it was freaking Modest Mouse. I wonder if that's how they're remembered now as a one-hit wonder. I mean, as music kind of fans, we all know that they're much more than that, but I think for, like, the general public, this was it. Yeah, I think they, you know, the, the, the fans will try to push back and say, oh... You know, they had Dashboard or Miss the Boat. Right. And I think that next record might have sold, I think it was sold a million copies. What I can't remember what the name of the follow-up was, but, you know, it had some hits. But, like, that song was so much bigger than anything else they ever did for being a band that was as good as they are. 
um, as accomplished as they were. You know, they'd come to L.A. and sell 3,500 seats. They'd sell out the wheel turn like nothing. Um, you know, and, and so it's just interesting that that's kind of what they became was, oh, that's that band that does float on. And they they just were kind of deserved so much more than that. Two, two thoughts about Modest Mouse. When I hear, and not just the Gravity Rides Everything, uh, Ocean Breathes Salty, this song, that, that to me, Bob and I were in our mid-20s when this album hit, and your mid-20s are a very kind of messy time. Well, for most people, Matt Money Smith was at the top of his profession. No, he, he, he was running like it six was, It was messy. <laughs> I can promise you but it was messy. It's, it's a lot of ups and downs, and, you, and I had a, a highly um, shitty job at the time and was coming off a, a breakup with my college girlfriend and it's just kind of you're trying to figure things out and but when you hear a song like that it does take me back and I have just really warm memories of that song which is kind of like one of the greatest testaments to a song when it can kind of take people back the way it does and they also are a band Modest Mouse that like you were just saying money like they engendered such passion from certain people our buddy Barrett back in New York was a massive fan, and I remember him telling a story about running into the lead singer uh, at a subway stop and saying, I'm just such a big fan, and the guy, the singer, hooked him up with front row Isaac, seats yeah. at Isaac at the show, and um, they just had, they were kind of the band, the cool band to be into, and the single was a little incongruous because it was such a huge pop hit, but they were a great kind of just under the surface band uh, for the most part. Yeah, and it's, you know, when, when you're in a bidding war, like, people were to sign them it was interesting because i can remember so the guy that wanted to sign them was luke wood um who was an a and r guy at dreamworks and he was in a band um himself and at geffen that was signed to geffen and then when he got to to dreamworks he signed a lot of great artists he's the guy that signed um elliot smith he signed a, a couple bands blinker the star creeper lagoon um but he wanted to sign uh modest mouse and and you know, these are talented, these A&R, you know, some A&R people um, are like Luke, where they are musicians, they're producers, uh, they're not just people that maybe have an ear to hear a hit or something like that, and then just pass it off. He wasn't one of them, and he recognized just how talented technically this band was, and clearly a lot of other people did, because it was a huge bidding war, and I think so many executives were like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we paying all this money for a band that's never sold more than 60,000 copies? Um, and of course it was paid off. And like, I think it just, it's almost like a little F you from, from Isaac. Like, oh, look, fine. <laughs> you, you, you want, you want a hit? Here's a hit. And then I'm going to go back to doing what I do and you can just leave me alone. But, but here's your 5 million seller. Uh, suck on that. I can do it. I just choose not to because it's not what I'm into. I, I almost feel like that's what float on is for him. All right, let us keep moving now uh, with a song that got on a lot of people's radars from a certain soundtrack, which we've covered on this podcast, but we're going to learn something new, I feel like, about this artist, The Shins. Here's New Slang. Gold teeth and a curse for this town We're all in my mouth Only I don't know Oh, 
money. Did this song change your life when you first heard it? So, so this is this is probably the band I like the most out of this era. I still listen to the Shins all the time. It's one of my favorite bands. James Mercer is one of my favorite artists. Um, and this was a tough one because they Sub Pop had already released "Shoots Too Narrow," and and I was adamant that there were five songs on that record that were hits. Um, and to this day, I still think we could play that game. I mean, Kissing the Lipless, So Says I, Young Pilgrims, yes. Fighting so in a Sack, I, Pink yeah. Bullets, Turn a Square. I mean, it is an unbelievable record, right? And, and so Sub Pop was this really cool label to work with. And they used to have what we called the Sub Pop Girls. Because um, most record labels, um, you know, had douchey dudes like me. Um, but Sub Pop had these three girls that worked all their records. And I can remember they thought like, hey, we got something here. This this, this is it. We got our big one. You know, since Bleach or, you know, Sebado, this was kind of their next big one. And so I can remember seeing Garden State and thinking, okay, I think we can play the shins. And I think if I somehow can get this this scene with with, you know, with new slang then we can at least play that and maybe that's our little that's the door that, right. that the shins can kick in to get on alt rock radio and so when we did that um it didn't work out and it, it to this day it bums me out that like we only played new slang and and i had hoped that and they played acoustic christmas that year so I'll, I'll go through the acoustic christmas lineup that's it's one of the greatest shows that, that I think has ever been put together um, in terms of popular but great music. Um, you know, you can put together killer bills of unbelievable artists that, that, you know, never really squashed a grape commercially, but to actually get bands that sold millions of copies while making great music is that, you know, my boss at K-Rock, Kevin Weatherly, once said when I was bringing him the coolest stuff I could find, hey, uh, it's really, really easy to be cool. It's really, really hard to be popular. And that just kind of always stuck with me. And here we have this <laughs> balance of really good music that was also very popular. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I think the Garden State soundtrack was on Epic. And they sold a ton of those. They, I think they ended up selling two or three million copies. Um, I think, what was it? Oh, Inverted World, I think, was the record that that was on for the Shins, which never sold much. And Shoots Too Narrow didn't sell anything. And we ended up not playing anything else from that record and it was just a huge bummer so it was kind of like this cool victory like yay we got the shins on the radio and oh wow it's a song that's three years old and uh it's a real bummer because unfortunately epic got the the benefit of it as opposed to sub pop elliot smith um who you talked about xo and uh, one of your great regrets uh back in your time in the record industry kind of a similar vibe and sound uh, to that single, at least, uh, maybe music that sounds like that was more difficult to get airplay it was on very, a modern rock station. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Elliot, it was different because it was a few years before that. You know, so this was '04. So Elliot, you right. know, when Miss Misery came out, and and yeah, Miss Misery kind of squashed XO for us because you know we had a bunch of stations that liked Elliot a lot, and they were like, "Oh, we're already playing Miss Misery," and it's like, "Well, yeah, that's that's on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack," and I get it, and it's great, but. That's not really going to help them all that much. Um, you know, this play 
you know, the, the, the Waltz number two and, and uh, you know, Independence Day and all the songs we were working off XO and they never did. So, yeah, I, I actually experienced the other side of that. And maybe that it's funny you bring that up. Now, look how cathartic this is, Dan. Like that may be why <laughs> the uh, the Shins thing just resonated and still sticks with me. Like, wow, we really, you know, you feel like you do them a solid, but it, it really kind of you end up feeling pretty shitty about the way it, it played out. Mm. God, just brought us all down here. But hey, you know gonna... what? That's that's music, brother. Most of it, yeah. most of the stories do not have happy endings. Ninety-nine percent of them do not have happy endings. Sadly, right, let let's move on uh, and uh, keep pouring through. This is the Matt Money Smith two thousand four K Rock playlist, and one of the biggest uh, rock bands to come out of the aughts is Arcade Fire. Here's Wake Up. Damn it! I still that puts uh, the hairs on my back on the back of my neck up to this day. I love this whole album, but this song—why wasn't this a bigger hit, Money? Well, it was for us. Um, so you know, Good. we, we kind of yeah. So this so so you know, we played um, we played quite a bit of, of songs off Funeral. So um, we played. Let's see, we played Tunnels. We played Wake. I think we ended up playing three songs if I remember right um, I was very 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 and I say this um, fortunate to have been able to go to the Arcade Fire show at uh, the Troubadour and it's oh, an wow. opportunity yes so before Funeral took off they could um, fit everybody on that stage they could barely what, fit everybody in that venue. That's their band could fill up that venue. Is you felt like <laughs> there amazing. were more people on stage than there were uh, in the audience, and it was a full-on who's who in the audience. It was, I mean, movie stars, supermodels, rock stars, and you know, here I am, you know, just the schlubby music director from the local radio station, and you know, normally when you go, you're you're chatting um, with the record rep, the manager. It was one of the only shows, it was one of the first shows that um, that they didn't say a word to me. And they specifically told me to come by myself. They didn't position it as, hey, um, they, they, they didn't position it as, we want you to, uh, you know, we, we don't want, we don't have any room. There, there aren't enough tickets. It was just, we want you to be there by yourself, and we want you to experience the show, and we don't want you to be distracted. Mm. And and it's a, and, and I remember being like, all right, whatever. You know, I liked the record, I liked the music, so I was like, okay. And I didn't know what I was in for, and uh, I walked out of there just dome blown. You know, dudes with motorcycle helmets on, getting drumsticks played on top. Um, <laughs> on top of it, you know, violins and harmonies, and and it was just—it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. And so, 
the first song we played off the record was Power Out. Um, and then I think we played Tunnels a little bit. We played Rebellion. But this was the one. This was the anthem. And, and very rarely, um, you know, bands can write, they can write hits, they can write ballads, but rarely can they write an anthem. And Let's listen to uh, a little bit more of this song. Yeah. And that's what's started so interesting here. about this song. Just, let's let's start it here. Let's just right. play it on the radio, but start it right. here. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it really is uh, a great song. Matt, that's beautiful. Matt, you've had you've had two stories of the record labels kind of pulling you aside and saying you have to experience this because it's a transcendent work of art, whether it's a rock opera or a band, you know, playing a small venue like the Troubadour that's going to be the next big thing. Do you have any memories of? the record label hyping something up like that and it was just they did not deliver at all yes many um <laughs> many i remember uh being told that i had to come see this band called bush at a place called the dragonfly <laughs> and and it's funny they were and and it was and look i get it you know with hearing the music and and knowing that you know we were the first radio station in the world to play everything zen and and that record was huge i mean zen. it was huge for us it was zen. um you know from uh come down and uh machine, machine head yeah. so that it had the hits right <laughs> so then i show up and here's this good looking front man he's got no shirt on he's all oiled up and he's playing it right and he comes and it's just it is such a spinal tap moment he like comes on stage and he's got the english accent and you know for everything zen like it opens with that power chord and then it's supposed to build and so he comes out and he's like feeling himself hard right and he hits the chord and it's a like, you know and then all of a sudden the pa goes out <laughs> and he is devastated and all of these we know you know and again we had never heard a song by them it was just this guy mike jacobs that's like hey you got to come see this band they're amazing and we're like uh whatever it's free dinner i'll go uh the funny thing is i was having dinner that night get this i was having dinner with simple minds I was at a what? dinner that night with Simple Minds and then had to be pulled away to go see some stupid band called Bush. So I'm already in a bad mood. And, um, and, and, so, and it just failed miserably. It was hilarious. Um, they, didn't, but, they didn't win you back with uh, glycerine? Yeah. Ugh, not, not one of my favorites. That was a, uh, I believe that's what you call collateral damage. Uh, you know, you, you go ahead, you got to play the hits. Sometimes they're, they're, they're records that you don't really like. And, Bob, we should let the audience know to maybe – as informed as money sounds, to let it be known that he sees no value in the band alive, even their breakout 1994 classic, Throwing Copper. So, grain of salt. I, Dan, it it's shows what a big man you are that you allowed him to be on this podcast, right. knowing what a huge live fan you are. Money, it's just you, remarkable. Money, do you, tell the story again, because I never get sick of tell, uh, hearing it, and I know... Uh, Early days like of Twitter, Dan puts out uh, something like, for those keeping track, top five live songs of all time. And, and it's like Lakini's Juice and I Alone. And, and I actually loved that tweet so much. 
And again, this is early days of Twitter, not knowing what it was going to turn into, the juggernaut that it's turned into. And I decided, you know what? I got to take a screenshot of this just in case this thing disappears at some point and I can never access it again. <laughs> so I still have in my photos of, with all of my children, I still have uh, that screenshot of Dan's top five live songs of all time. Because if Save it. It's going to be, that, be worth something someday. Yeah, I'm there's one thing the world doesn't need. It's that. I'm, try <laughs> I'm trying to think if Dolphins Cry made it. I'm not sure in retrospect. What about, what about Simple Creed? No? Oh, was... Simple Creed has to be on there. Yeah, yeah great. Well, I remember, you know, Ed got into some trouble because he claimed that they were bigger than you two. I don't know if you remember that or if that was just a record company thing. He did an interview where he claimed <laughs> that Live was the biggest rock band in the world. Uh, and by the time, it was something like, we're the biggest rock band in the world right now in this moment. There's no debate about that. And when it's all said and done, I don't know why he decided to pick a bone with you too. He's like, we're going to go down as being bigger than you too. And everyone's like, whoa, Ed, slow down there, brother. Well, let, let, and let's, let's, let's slow it down a little bit. And he was proven right. So yes, he was. Case exactly. Yeah! Oh, wow. I was not expecting this tonight. Right? Did you forget? Oh. You forget that, that Cold Hard Bitch was a number one song in 2004. Oh, my God. As, as a self-professed cool New Yorker at the time, I was trained to hate this. Is that right? But, I mean, we were all supposed to hate Jet. They were the anti-strokes. Yeah. Guys, well, that's Jeff exactly right. Give Jet the floor, please. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was almost like, I, I think that's a, it's a good way to put it, Bob, is that um, everybody was looking for fill in the blank, the next white stripes the next cold play the next strokes the next like it was just it was a free-for-all um and some of it was great and some of it like like think about the von bondies right that was a pretty good song um mm -hmm. come on come on unfortunately he just got his ass kicked by jack white and like jack nobody white wanted to have anything to do with him face. yeah you yeah. know and uh and jet ended up you know putting out a couple big records um between are you gonna be my girl and 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 this and I think a lot of people felt that way. It was almost like they were just kind of songs. I mean, like you said, their strokes rip off, but it was really kind of like ACDC. And then they had that know? ballad out of nowhere that did damage as well. They had uh, like a, it's like a Beatles-esque. I think it was Look What yes. You've Done, right? Yes, it sounded yes. like, exactly. It sounded like the Beatles. Like this, but, like, Are You Gonna Be My Girl was a little bit more garagey. This is this more is ACDC. Yeah. That was and a then, pop. Are You yeah. Gonna Be My Girl was Iggy Pop. This there is ACDC. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. They were a very, they, they were a total chameleon band. Um, but but you know what? Here we are, like twenty years later, and it's fifteen years later, and now that all of that is stripped away, of like, oh, I can't like this because of whatever reason, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what's funny? Like there, there's bands and then there's songs, and like to me, Jet was always songs. You know, it's right. like, oh yeah, I, I don't really care about the band Jet. I'm not anxious for their follow up. It was just like, oh yeah, these are, yeah, these are hit songs. You know, I was and, trying and to there's think, a handful of those bands. Was this the Australian band with the autistic lead singer? No, that was the Vines. But these the guys Vines. are. Exactly. This is uh, an Australian band too, right? I believe so. Yes. Yes. Just like yeah. Silverchair, Dan. 
Silver chair. Top five silver chair songs. Dan has <laughs> for posterity's sake. For those keeping That's, track. Should I should I just drop that tweet without any explanation money? My top five yeah. silver chair songs. <laughs> just put it out there. Um, but make it make it a series, Dan. That's your thing, man. This is my, my thing is top five songs from terrible bands. Here we go. <laughs> everybody, everybody needs to have an angle. Exactly. That's gonna be mine. <laughs> top five stain songs. Here we go. Go. <laughs> it's been a while. Um so right. Are you a Jet fan? Yes or no? Let's be honest. I think, like I said, just songs. Appreciate hit songs. Made my life easy. When we could play hit songs that went into power, That's like that was like the business of the job. When I heard it, I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. I can't wait to play this. No, it was like, yeah, this sounds like a hit. We're, we're going to probably play this 5,000 times, and, and that'll and that, be great for us. And that song, I think, Cold Hearted Bitch, checks all the boxes you need of like, oh, this is definitely going to be a hit. It yeah. just sounds like a hit. They say right. bitch, you know, so it's kind of edgy yeah. and, you know, it stays in alt rock. It doesn't go to pop, you know, kind of problematic stuff, yeah. and problematic in 2020. But in 2000, I was yeah. going to say, I think we might be post bitch unless you're Meredith Brooks. But you had the Stones had bitch. They were well in the window. You had what was that terrible a lit? Didn't they have a song or no? Who's the there was a song? Uh, that was uh, Buck Cherry. Crazy Buck, bitch. You're thinking. Buck, yeah, crazy. Who bitch, I worked, this. by the way, at DreamWorks and hated my oh, guts. Yeah. Bad Buck guys. <laughs> hated me. Uh, wonderful had- guys, but hated me because they were convinced I sabotaged their career because I forced them to release for the movies as a single before Check I, Your Head. I love that single. I know. I, I thought that was the hit. Really, that was, on my, was, that was hit. like a nap. That was a Napster like staple for me. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for uh, putting us out of business with your goddamn yep. Napster, Bob. <laughs> well, <laughs> while we're here, Money, did you, was there ever a band, and maybe you couldn't or shouldn't say, that physically um, threatened you or assaulted no. you even over their frustration? No, I mean, I got yelled at, but never, never assaulted. Um, didn't Dolores or Reardon beat you up? No, she didn't beat me up, but she, <laughs> she asked me if I was a fucking engineer. Oh, is that what you are now? Now you know what. Now, now, I, I I explained that her sound check was taking three times as long as any other band on Acoustic Christmas, and she, oh, you're oh, you're an engineer, are you? Is that what you are, huh? <laughs> Mister Engineer over here knows knows how we're supposed to sound, doesn't he? I was like, yeah, boy. The late yeah. Dolores O'Reardon of the Cranberries, yeah, exactly. which feels feels like a whole other episode of the podcast money's uh, association i feel like i've gone on forever too i I apologize if this thing's getting long i mean no this we're loving it if if you're okay we're okay um and this next song to me is probably another sorry to interrupt dan but another great bonus of covid nowhere else to be right now see you guys Yes, time of our lives the only thing i need to do is get another tito's but it's downstairs all right (laughs) coming up next is the biggest uh, to me, pop song of the 2000s, and I'm curious how this fits in to K Rock. Here is Hey Ya! One, two, three, uh! My baby don't mess around because she loves me so, and this I know for sure. Uh! does she really want to, but can't stand to see me walk out the how it fits um like to that like it just it adds to 2004 and what a weird year it was for us at k-rock so we played hey yeah we played miss jackson we played 99 problems that year 
Uh, I want to say I played. I played. I think. I think Run had a song that came out in '94 that we played. It was just this strange year that so much, so much music from so many different genres came out, and we could just kind of play this giant bowl. It was a big salad of music where normally, you know, in all the years leading up to that, it was ass rock and rap rock. And, and maybe an occasional female artist and maybe something that leaned pop. But this one year um, gave us, you know, a, a handful of, of hip hop records that we ended up playing as well. And, I, and it was and I actually the only time my boss legitimately yelled at me, like was really angry um, <laughs> was when we were like three. Like, hey, I was only two and a half minutes long. So the way when you schedule music, you know, you've got to come up with as close as you can to one hour, including the 16 minutes of commercials you're gonna play. So sometimes maybe I was supposed to play this song here instead of the next hour, but oh crap, now I'm at an hour two and I can't play it, so I've gotta replace something. So hey, yeah, it was like a two minute, 15 second song. So I remember we needed a song, like we were short, like it, it wasn't gonna work. And so it's a Friday, it's like five o'clock or 5.30. It's, <laughs> it's a beautiful day. And I get a call from Jed, I think, and he's like, hey, we're short and I need a song like now. And it's and it's, you know, like maybe five till the top of the hour. And I'm like, what the hell? Maybe a little bit of a heads up, dude. Look at the hour and tell me. Uh, so I have to scramble. And really, the only thing that fit was, hey, yeah. And I was like, all right, just play this. So he plays it. <laughs> Phone rings. It's uh, Weatherly. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing i'm like what are you what? he's like and this is like hey yeah it's become the biggest song of the year kiss is playing it 100 times a week you know every 90 minutes and we have since we have probably haven't played it for a month or six weeks because it had ceased being cool because now right. every kid in america you know mm -hmm. under the age of 12 was singing it and he was like legitimately upset and he and i are yelling at each other and i'm like yeah, it's two and a half minutes and jed called me late he's like never ever play a song like that and it was just like a little bit of an education for me like oh yeah that's right there are some rules to, to scheduling music on k-rock and and getting people not to freak out like hey why the hell are they playing this lame song and it was uh <laughs> and it was one of the bigger songs for us i mean it was in power it was a, it was a huge hit for us see that's bob and i were still back on the east coast at this time listening to the other k-rock by the way did the two k-rocks hate each other didn't hate each other. I just was um, their music director, and I were very close, Mike Peer. Um, but their program director, I I hated with the intensity of a thousand suns. Uh, Steve Kingston, who was just as big of an a hole as as there is on earth, and thought he was super. He was like one of these guys that was convinced that he broke all these bands, and it's like, dude, you you add records the week after we add them. You do nothing. Your your station is not. <laughs> It is not a snapshot of New York. You're not playing cool old New York. You know, you're not playing any any freaking great New York bands. You're just playing what we play in L.A. and, and calling it care. Like, I mean, the idea that that guy's not playing like Mercury Rev and things like that. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you should be playing the soundtrack to New York, not just playing right. they what we're playing in L.A. Mm -hmm. They should have been playing the Strokes before K-Rock in L.A. was playing yeah, the Strokes. I exactly. mean, come on. And the reason why that jumps out to me and why I was so surprised to hear these hip-hop songs being played on K-Rock in L.A. is that would never happen, Bob, in the K-Rock in New York. You would never hear anything outside the box on the modern, biggest modern rock station in New York City. Never in a million years, no. And I wonder, like, what do you... Around that time, we had talked during our uh, Green Day episode about 2004, the mashup was kind of happening a lot more. Right. With, um, 
Danger Mouse and people like that were doing mashups. So like to hear that 99 Problems was on K-Rock, was that maybe, I mean, it's definitely a hip hop song, but is there something to that? That there um, was this sort there, of like there was so like you know there's genres. politics involved in it and and so Rick Rubin came in with Jay Z um, and and I was told to stick around you know that that we wanted to have Jay Z on in the nine you know during the Furious Five at nine he was going to come in and and so that's a lot of pressure you know when you know how <laughs> big of an artist Jay Z is and like they invited me out to it. he was doing a show at the House of Blues so they invite me to the show they invite me to the after party at the famous riot house the Hyatt across the street um, and I'm in this room partying with those guys and you know then they what do they do they show up at K-Rock the next night and they're like hey you, you had a good time right remember how much fun we had and you were you were in the party with us and wasn't that great and okay so what we want to do it you know those things Mm-hmm. Sort of, and it's I remember a different type of payola. Yes, and there was, uh, it, like, there was this moment where it got a little weird, and he was just like, "Look, I'm, I'm not saying you're going to start playing this record, but you're going to start playing this record." <laughs> right. was, Did you enjoy I, the I crystal? Like, I was like, "Okay, you know what I think we're going to do? We're going to start playing this record." <laughs> so, uh, so we ended up playing 99. Problems. Was uh, was Beyonce at Riot House? No. No, but the largest human being I've ever seen, and as someone who works in football, that's saying something. The largest human being I've ever seen was the Jay Z's bodyguard was this this Samoan dude that was probably, I would say, seven foot tall, uh, four hundred and fifty pounds of no fat, not oh not swole, God. not like <laughs> super muscly, but just this Mass. massive. And I don't remember Jay Z and I were we were. And I, and I hope this story doesn't come out. I, like, I, I don't want this to be like name drop and stuff. But we were arguing about something. It was a sports conversation. And we got into this argument. And <laughs> we were, but it was like, a, you know, it's like a fun sports argument, you know, that we were having and we were drinking and stuff. And, and I can't remember what it was over, but it was sports related. Um, and, and his security guard comes, his bodyguard comes in and he just goes, oh, everything all right in here? <laughs> I remember being like, oh my God. And it was the first time I had seen him that night. And I was like, holy crap, look at the size of that guy. Uh, like truly, the, the guy could have picked me up with one hand and just threw me off the balcony, you know, 15 stories plummeting to my death if, if things weren't okay in there. You used to hang out with Jay-Z on Monday nights. Now it's us. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> oh. On a string, like slow spinning redemption, winding in. God, I forgot how many songs we're doing. The shine of it has caught my eye and roped me in so mesmerizing. So, this guy was like annoying. Chris Carrava, yeah. yeah. So, so here's the story with this one and why I wanted to play it because this was uh, so like Dashboard has screaming infidelities, right? And and they. And, and the guy that worked it was one of my early bosses, one of the, the guys that gave me my first shot. He was he was a guy that, that hired me at London uh, when I first graduated college. This guy, Bill Carroll, just an awesome promotions guy. Just if he believed in a record, man, he would freaking, and, and, he, and he loved you as an artist, he would stand in front of a bullet, lay down in front of a bus, that kind of guy. And Screaming Infidelities was that record for him. Like, he was just a dog, relentless, on the That's road. That's the... Re- that's the Her Hair is Everywhere song, right? Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, like bringing Chris into radio stations and having him play in the lobby for everybody uh, and having all the girls swoon over his, his dashing good looks and this great romantic song. Um, and then it becomes, 
it becomes a bit of a hit, right? Screaming, it's not a huge hit, but it works. We played it at K-Rock. And then the follow-up, this is kind of, this was the payoff, right? Is that Vindicated is this huge hit. And it's a monster, and MTV decides they're going to bang the hell out of the video. And Spider-Man 2, right? And look, it, it, it takes, exactly. So it, it takes an artist to, to, you know, creatively write the song and, and have that talent and sing the song and play the song and, and have the right look and all of that. But it also takes people behind the scenes that believe in you. Um, when most people in radio were like, I ain't playing this crap. It sounds like, you know, something that belongs on the hot AC, you know, for, for the single moms out there or something. Um, and so when he won his VMA, and he got up and thanked, I swear to God, he must have thanked 70 people. And the only guy he didn't thank was Bill Carroll. And for that, <laughs> when it comes to Chris Caraba, it's just a big double middle finger. Fuck you. I hope your career ends in nothing but misery and you never have another hit again. Um, and that's and, and, I, and, I, and like I said, I want to play it because, you know, no, people don't know those stories like they don't like at DreamWorks. We had this guy named Mark Ratner who was crazy, badass crazy. And he believed in Nelly Furtado and he freaking canvassed the country playing I'm like a bird to any station that would listen to him. And she ended up breaking off of that. And it took like a year. And, and she was forever grateful to him, this weirdo, and thanked him at every turn she could get. And Caraba was exactly the opposite. So Come on, uh, Caraba. Exactly. You, drag, his, drag his name through the dirt for, for not thanking Bill at the VMAs. Now, for all I know, afterwards, he was like, Bill, I love you. I'm so sorry. I was caught up in the moment. And they've since made <laughs> no, up. I don't, don't know. Care. I don't, don't know care. the end of that story. But that, but my story is this, and uh, I didn't, I didn't need another reason to hate this guy, but now exactly. I have. Exactly, there you go. If you want another, Bob, you you've grown in this mustache, and it's you know turned you into the dad that you always were going to become and be destined mm -hmm. to be, and now you are that guy. Has anyone seen Chris Caraba's uh, modern day look with a really deep furry black beard? It's a little, it's jarring. No, a little bit. A little bit. He's, he's got to get his edge back, you know. He's no longer the heartthrob. All right, we've been listening to a lot of good music today, and here's, here's some more music. Frosted tips, by the way, on the video. What a, what a perfect look for this video. Like six years too late. Stupid goatee. Nice guy, too. That's the sad thing. Super, super nice guy. Uh, um, it's great that, that Dan singing off-key sounds exactly yeah. the same as the song. This is Huba Stank. Yeah, we knew this is one of those that you dread. You know it's going to be huge, and you're like, damn it, I do not want to play this song, and I'll be damned if we're not going to play it forever, and it's going to drive me crazy every time it comes on. How do you reconcile that side of the business as a Black Flag fan and somebody who grew up as a huge music snob, knowing yeah. that you're the guy who brings Hoobastank to the part masses? Of it. Yeah, that I am part of the problem. Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Bob, I, um, I learned very quickly to have no dignity. Um, <laughs> that's that's, that that's the lot. truth. Is, is it really does help. It's like, you know what? I, I, am, I am not here. I will, I will wear your slings and arrows as I used mm -hmm. to shoot them. 
at the the radio uh, folks, and and now I have to wear them. It is my cross. The reason is my cross to bear. Um, <laughs> you asked me. I don't know if it was before we started rolling or it's not. It's right but, before. Uh, so you asked me. Uh, it's behind me. I've got uh, my my gold. It's the only gold record that hangs up in my house. There are there are people in the business that have a home where they have like two hundred of them all over, and it's so gross and it makes you want to throw up. Uh, this is one of the first ones I ever got. It's it's postal service from such great heights that uh, was one of the first gold records I got uh, in the, on the music side of things. On the record side of things, my first record was Portishead. That's up at my parents' house. Those are the only two gold records that are hanging anywhere. Um, and then this is actually for those that are wondering if they can see this. or oh, Actually, they can't, right? So, yeah, whatever. Um, well, well we, we can throw it up on Twitter. We can ah, don't worry about it. Out. So, anyway, so you asked what the worst gold record was that I had. Because you got – well, the first question I asked was – do you have to request the gold records? But no, right. you're saying anyone you're associated with, they just ship it to your office. Well, when it was, yeah, when I was music director, it was like a thank you. Like, hey, you were a big part of this going gold or going platinum or going multi-platinum, and we want to recognize that you were part of it. And then a lot of times by default, it's like, hey, by the way, I crapped all over that record. Not only, you know, I, I was just a guy that scheduled it against my will, so thanks for it, but it's going to sit in the corner of the office, which I never thought would happen. You know, you dream of having a gold record and then when they start showing up again, you become none to it and, and it's terrible and it, it takes some of the, you know, but there are some that you are proud of. Anyway, the Hoobastank one I had sat in my garage forever until Jay and Dan came from Canada to Los Angeles for one of my favorite sports shows ever. Uh, the little show they did in that closet at Fox Sports One was just fantastic. And one of their running gags yes. was always Hoobastank. They would always drop Hoobastank in the middle of conversation. So one day I end up giving, uh, I don't remember if I gave it to Jay or Dan. I was like, hey, I thought this might live. And they would have this, they had this weird setup behind them of just a bunch of tchotchkes and things. And so I gave them my triple platinum <laughs> Hoobastank record. And like, I almost feel like it was their death knell because as soon as they got it, they were so excited to add it to their backdrop. And I think they got fired like a week later and moved oh. back to Canada. <laughs> Um, but I was like, like, no, we can't take this from you. It's a platinum record. I was like, guys, trust me. Trust me. <laughs> take the Hoobastank record. <laughs> if that, you don't take it, it's going to sit in my garage for the next 20 years. I, I feel like part of the reason why Hoobastank is a punchline beyond the frosted tips and the general cheesy nature of that song and the opening line and all that is, it, it of course, the name itself. Yeah. Was, it, was there ever – I mean, was there ever a band name that, that no. was enough to, to sink a band even with great music? Because the, the ass ponies, well, the ass ponies, the yes. ass ponies, which I, I actually like their song, the the uh, the ass ponies. Well, um, and now that guy, that guy is wussy now, which is not much. Is that better. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are they, ponies was one where they had little bastard was their song, and it was pretty good. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that we, was we should song. play this. And they're like, dude, we're not playing the ass ponies. <laughs> are the ass ponies connected to Diarrhea Planet? I, mm, that's a good question, Dan. But I'm, I'm going to go with no. Go with what about gob Goblin Cock? That was another one. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. We are coming closer to the finish line now of Money's. All right. Uh, here we go. Top 12. Are we, are we done with the, the hits? Are we done with the hits? Are we, we on to the. We have one more hit. And okay. I have can to I, tell you, I haven't heard it. What were you going to say, Bob? I was say, can we ask Money, though? All of those uh, unwanted gold records in the garage, we will outfit the Throwback Podcast ah. Studio with them. No not matter how lame idea. it is. Do you have a live gold record? I do not. I do not have a live. 
I do not, not have a live. I, I have given. I don't know how many I still have in the garage because I have passed them out to my cousins. They all have them in like their game rooms. The Buck Cherries, the Power. I think I might still have my Power Man Five Thousand. We'll we'll take your um, worst ones. We'll- there you go. I don't know if I, I. I think of all the ones I've kept. Um, I think I still have my Nelly Furtado. I would actually hang my Jimmy Eat World Bling at Bleed American up because that was a, mm, that was great quite one. the labor. Um, yeah, no, that was a great. That album. was an interesting one, um, just because Bleed American was the number two song in America uh, on 9/11, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden radio stations decided they can't play a song called Bleed American anymore mm-hmm. um, after that, and that was that was tough because it was like there's a band that had been busting their ass for ten years. They finally catch their break. And, you know, for reasons beyond their control that really did not make any sense because it's not what the content of the song was. It was just the title of the song that uh, that, that kicked well, it off track. Thank goodness they had the middle and we had that whole record is full of praise chorus. Hits. Sweetness. Praise chorus yeah. is the best song on the record. Um, I mean, it's it's such a great, great record. Well, that so I'm very proud to have worked that one. One of my favorite Wikipedia wormholes is the playlist of songs that I don't know if it was the FCC sent out post 9-11 and we talk about 9-11 all the time on this podcast just so you comes know, up honey. a lot sure um, feel good podcast right yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a list of songs uh, that you could not play on radio or were strongly suggested do you what what memories do you have of that list well for me it was just it was overwhelming because of bleed american because i you know it was scar tissue was the number one song in america forever so i like i i I have never hated a song more than that because basically we had like 400 more spins than the number three record but we had like 2,000 less spins than scar tissue because it was being played more than anything else anywhere and i felt like you know what We'll, we'll get it by the end of the year we'll get it these guys will get a number one it'll be great they've earned it and uh, and then all of a sudden, and and remember the album was named Bleed American too, mm-hmm. so right. we had to pull the album, we had to redo the record and just call it Jimmy World after that, uh, and regroup. And thankfully for for them, we came back with the middle, which was a number one song. So they they got it eventually, and and I thought they deserved it. All right, one last song from the era, and uh, we talked about. A modest mouse made me think about the good things about being young and and, uh, and living life. This song, and I hadn't heard it until earlier today, since probably 2004, brought back all the bad memories. Every time we lie awake, after every hit we take, every. You just you forget how bad music was, so, you know, like how so how bad. bad it was prior to 2004. This is basically what we were playing. It was a lot of Creed, Stained, P.O.D., Papa Roach. This is Three Days Grace. I hate everything about you. Um, uh, Drowning Pool. Uh, who's the guy from Israel that was the Krav Maga guy? I can't remember now. Oh, um, yes. Oh, ah! Whatever that was, yeah. that that was uh, system of the down. No, not system no, of the down. They were local. The they were LA guys. Search uh, ah. the That was um, that, was it. Drowning pool. Maybe it was drowning pool. It wasn't um, puddle of mud, but that's another no. But that, 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 that puddle of mud's another one. Yeah. And then like 2004 is just this 
ray of light in this incredible darkness um, that booted crap like this off the air and and put some good music back on. Um, so that's, yeah, so like this was kind of the end and then the stuff that we've played for the majority of this was kind of the new beginning and the ability to play some really, like, hey, rock doesn't have to be a dude with frosted tips, uh, with a frosted tip mohawk, a goatee, and, and he screams the chorus. Like, that's not what our radio station has to be. That's all K-Rock in New York was. I, I think yeah. about yeah. that song being played probably twice an hour for yeah. four months in 2004. And it's a terrible song. Just a ter- There was nothing good about this song. Even, even the op- that opening riff, even that just drives me nuts when I hear yeah. it. It's See, like- I don't know this song at all. I think by this point I was able to insulate myself from yeah. the... Well, we K-Rock did not play that. Radio. Now, K-Rock LA, we did not. I don't know if we're, you were probably in New York back then. But, like, this was one where we got a lot of heat from the label because they were like, it's a number one song. And we're like, and it's terrible. And we're not going to play <laughs> nice. it. So, yeah. Good for you, money. You knew what you were doing, except for yeah, see, the live stuff. But that's. You know, uh, yeah, see, me, me and Dan But we went played to the live stuff. <laughs> we, went to, we went to college from 98 to 02. And we talk about that being, like, the dark times of music because it was the Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock. Right. Papa uh, Roach. Corn, Papa Roach, corn, all of that yeah. stuff. And D-O-D. then in 01 was the Strokes and White Stripes and Wilco. Exactly. And it was like the beginning of that, but that never really took hold. But yeah, it was kind of the was, Strokes and, it, yeah, it was basically the Strokes and, and like you said, it was Strokes, White Stripes. And then I don't remember it. The Hives kind of got that one little hit mm-hmm. in there as well. So, yeah, I guess you're right. It was, it was, it was you know, 01 we had that one as well. It was enough for us to finally have something to listen to, yeah. even if it wasn't a big radio hit. Right. But yeah, 04 was the year that it finally crossed over, which was nice. All right, here we go now, Money. That, so that is the snapshot of 2004 K-Rock. Now, here are songs from Matt Money Smith. How do you want to put it, Money? That, that should have been hits. So, yeah, so these two I thought were, were monsters. Um, and I think, you know, and, and so the first one. Let's play it. Uh, let's play it right yeah, now. Yeah, so go ahead. Let's play it. Oh yeah, keep it up. Just keep it up. Okay. So I know like ESPN had their little uh, three hype song thing on Twitter. That became a bit of a Twitter event, or at least they tried to make a Twitter event and they failed miserably. But like this would be one of those songs. Like this song, every time I played it in the office and every time I played it in the music meeting, I'm just screaming, yelling jumping around like how how can you not hear this this is it this is the song of the year why was this not bigger well the rat by the walkman the rat yes. by the walkman and the walk and, and there and i had a connect so when i was at dreamworks one of the first records i ever worked was jonathan fire eater 
Um, for those that don't know, Jonathan Fire Eater was three guys from Jonathan Fire Eater, two guys including Hamilton, the front man from the Recoys. So um, I'd always felt like I got screwed on Jonathan Fire Eater because they, like, you were, it's funny you said, oh, Jet was just the wannabe strokes. To me, the strokes were wannabe Jonathan Fire Eater. Well, like, yeah, there is the no Jonathan way Jonathan Fire Eater those... are legendary in the scene for being exactly. the guys that just didn't pull it off. Exactly. So it was a shame. Like, holy crap, Fire Eater didn't quite have hits. You know, like their songs were awesome, but they just weren't quite catchy enough. But like mm-hmm. to me, I was like, oh, good for Walter, because he was the one guy in the band that I really connected with. And, uh, and I was like, he's got a hit. And then it just never happened for whatever reason. But think about the fact that like Franz Ferdinand, you know, the Strokes, the White Stripes, the all of those bands made it. They all had hits. And somehow this song, it's just let's, so weird how that works out. Let's listen to this a little bit more. I love this one. See, the crazy, the crazy thing to me is, like, I, I didn't even recognize the last song, but to me, this song was a hit, because I was so sort of insulated right. in that world at the time, and I loved their first album, and uh, We've Been Had, and I just became a Walkman fan, and then when this song came out, it was a no-brainer, this is the greatest yeah. song to come out of yeah. this moment, and I remember listening to it all the time, and Bows and Arrows was my favorite album of the year, and it was just one of these one of these things, but it's crazy to hear that, like, I mean, it wasn't a hit, and I forget yeah. that it wasn't a hit. Yeah, because it was a, a hit if you were in New York and in Stereo Gum, like, uh, the music blogs, it was on every end of yeah. Pitchfork, right. end of Oh, yeah. Old, so number one college Ultra, 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 Ultra Girl and, was talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I just mean, like, on the same level, the, the fact that Jet and, and Franz and all those other bands made it, it's not like it was, like, you know, Elliot was a genre thing, right? It's like they just weren't ready for this soft-spoken, down-tempo singer-songwriter because they were banging Stained and, and Limp Biscuit and Papa Roach, you know? It's like, it doesn't fit. How do I get this song to fit in this wall of sound that's, that's you know, Kid Rock-centered? Um, whereas this, this is what everybody was playing. It's like, how do you decide that this is the song that's not going to make it? It was just very weird to me that, that it didn't catch. One of the great pump-up songs, I, I still remember to this day living on the Upper West Side, and there was a great Jackie Onassis Reservoir at the Central Park, at Central Park, you could run around and I would play that song on repeat. There's just something yeah. about that song yeah. that just yeah. takes you on a like exactly. run through a wall. I mean, hundred uh, percent. Well, 100%. and he's still he, we his love album it. this his album this year. Uh, yeah, Hamilton's Hamilton. yeah, Lighthouse. Yeah. yeah, loves of your life. Or it's see, he's still amazing. He's great. He's fantastic. All right, so it's senseless. That song wasn't a huge uh, radio exactly. Hit. Uh, coast we to blew coast. It. This song, uh, your second choice. Uh, Maybe more just because under- it's so different. Yeah, more understandable why it didn't hit. But God, another uh, beautiful song. Let's listen to the Scissor Sisters. Take your mom. When you grow up, live like a good boy ought to. And your mama takes a shot of football, son. Something different. All the girls that seem to like you. Because <laughs> Yeah. 
this is what's funny about this song. I just I, I can still remember this debate, and and I was 100% in favor of playing this record. And I don't remember who said it, but they were like, dude, it's Elton John. It's a total but, Elton John song. And the I remember best song saying, Elton John never wrote. I was like, yeah. I said, it turns out Elton John is one of the greatest songwriters in the history of music. And now you've got this super cool, edgy band that is playing in front of packed houses of movie stars and super cool indie rock artists that love this band. And they have such great presence and they just happen to write these unbelievably catchy pop rock songs that sound like Elton John. You're welcome. You are welcome. Here are hits. And they're like, yeah. And, and I started thinking, I was like, where would Elton John get played in 2004? Like, I remember right. saying that to the boss. I was like, what? If Elton John released Tiny Dancer, you're telling me he's not going to get it played anywhere? We're, we're not going to play that? That do you song? Think, do you think Scissor Sisters were too gay for 2004? It's possible. I mean, it's definitely, well, it's, it's horrible to say, but I mean, it was a huge part of the conversation is how over the top, overtly gay and comfortable with it they were. I think this um, song would do better now than it did then. I mean, this, like I, you said, this is, yeah. it's an Elton John hit. It, yeah. it, it, like, if it were from 1970 and, and it was Bernie and Elton that wrote it, it would have been a number one song. I was working at a show for VH1, Best Week Ever at the time, and we did a segment on it. We did like a little package on it because it was the like a cool video and a cool sound. And I remember afterwards, we had meetings about whether or not that was the right call because it was this not mainstream song and we were a main, we were supposed to be a mainstream show. Right. But this was the song that everybody on the staff liked and everybody was talking about. So we thought it was important, but then it became the bigger question of, is the country gonna wanna watch the right. Scissor Sisters? Yeah, Which, and it's it's sad if that's what it was, right? Because man, is it a great song! It's and if so you, good. And if you look at the uh, the comments on YouTube, uh, it, it it was a gay anthem. It was a yeah. it's a song that had that had an incredible pull on that community, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Too bad it wasn't a huge hit. It deserved to be one. All right, money. Well, that was if you awesome. Never heard it. Put it in your uh, playlist now. You'll love it. Now, speaking of which, before yes. we say goodbye to Matt Money Smith, and thank you. For giving us so much time tonight. Uh, oh my money. God! Yeah, this um, is like a record, a record amount of time. Thank you for my, this. my apologies uh, to the people listening for, for <laughs> rambling on way too much. At the, I, I know the listeners are going to love this episode, so don't worry about that. I think at the end of every episode, money, we choose one song from the album or countdown that we uh, just uh, listen to, and we add it to the throwback podcast playlist, which you can get on Spotify or Apple Music. And when we have a guest, money. We put it in the guest's hands to pick the song uh, that we take and put on the playlist. And uh, yes. that is your, the only job we're giving you or the we're final job you, today. You can think about it for one second while we do a little business. Thank you okay. to all of the Patreones that make this podcast uh, come alive and allow us to spend two hours with Matt Money Smith. So thank you. Patreon.com slash throwback pod. Everyone who Chips in $2 a month, $6 a month, $12 a month. Uh, our top tier sponsors like Bruno the Sponsor, Courtney Bruno. Wyatt, Courtney, Courtney Wyatt. Wyatt, Kleine from Australia. Oh, Kleine. Uh, what's the name of our favorite Australian rules football team now? The uh, the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, go Eagles. Yep. Eagles. Go Eagles. Um, thank you all. Patreon.com slash pod. So I think we bought money enough time to decide what song could go along. Side lives selling the drama 
Bush's mm. Come Down and all of the other amazing songs yeah. we have on our throwback podcast well, playlist. I think and, it's 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 obvious, right? You guys know what we're doing. I mean, what did we like? What did we say? We said, "What the hell? How did the Walkman, the Rat, not yes, make yes, it?" Man? Yes, so yes, that's yes, what we yes, got to yes. do. Like, it, it, at least it makes it here. At least it makes it here. I was going. We yeah. finally did it. I was going to make an appeal that the the. If it didn't happen in 2004, yeah, the least we can do is, now. is spread the gospel of uh, the Walkman and the Rat, exactly. and that's what we're doing. It's the latest addition to the Throwback Podcast playlist. Uh, Love it. So make sure you check that out. Matt Money Smith, again, you know where to find him. He's everywhere, including everywhere. including um, here in yeah. L.A. I'm everywhere uh, and nowhere. Radio. Hopefully you'll be calling Chargers games uh, yeah, no in a month or so. But Money, thank you so much. Uh, for yeah, coming on and we'd love to have you it. on again anytime we'll come up with something else I'm sure there's there's a million other avenues we can go down right I have I have a dozen failed early aughts bands I want to ask you about so okay perfect we'll yeah. do the failed early aughts we can knock that out <laughs> absolutely and if, you, and if you're ever digging through your um, garage or whatever and you maybe just forgot that you had the gold record for the distance to hear by live <laughs> Just send it our way. That's all we have. I can, yeah. Sadly, I can say with, or not sadly, I can say with great certainty, uh, no live, no live. You can, you can proudly say, you have yes. no, no, I, yes, I have no live. Sorry, Dean. All Sorry. right, let me see. Let me see if I can make a couple calls though for you. <laughs> all right, thank you, Matt. Mosley. All right, guys, thank you, you got everyone, uh, for listening. We will be back in two weeks on the Throwback Podcast. Go fuck yourself.